Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. It's hump day to one and all. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Izuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is a great day because we do have Joe Gallant of Odd Shark joining me in the second segment. Going to take a look at today's card. Going to talk a little bit about some pitchers that we trust and some pitchers, well... We're going to be fading on this fine day. That's going to be a lot of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side in total on every game on today's betting board as we touch them all. I did get a couple Twitter questions in here, so let's give you guys a couple answers to start things off. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. This one comes to me by a gentleman by the name of Tim Smith. He is on Twitter at SwipeTheDirt at GNNR41. On the podcast, you often mention pitchers to fade list. Do you actually have a list in regards to something that I write on on a piece of paper and like a journal or a diary or anything? No, this is just something that I do to keep mental notes. I sort of know the pictures I want to fade or not. The reason why I don't do like an official list or anything like that is because two of these guys might face off against each other. You can't fade both guys at the same time unless you think the game is going to be a draw. And let's face it, I don't think there's going to be any ties in baseball anytime soon. Well, actually, I think there technically was one last year, but that was under like extreme circumstances, and it was unbettable on the board. So there's that. But I can tell you right now, guys like you, Darvish, Homer Bailey, and company—they're all always on the list. There's a couple guys today. You're 
You know who the special guy from Texas. He is way up there on the fade list. Joe Gallant's going to be talking to me about it. I'm going to be breaking it down. So there is going to be all that, but it's not something that I actually have a list on. Like I said, every pitcher, no matter how bad they are, there's a point where they have value, but I don't have like an official list. JM Betts tweets this in at Leafs Raps Jays 7 at GN underscore 81. Do you ever try to be selective when betting? Answer to that one is no. I will just put that out there right now, and then we move on. What made you an all-sides and all-totals guy? And for finally, what is your least favorite hashtag gambling Twitter troop? Personally, mine is, and he's got like a bunch of emojis here, Max Bet, 10-unit explanation point, or, and I quote, I couldn't name a player, I just bet numbers. Well, my favorite person on Twitter is good old Vegas Dave. That is the person I like the least. And the reason why I go all sides and all totals is because something that I've noticed is that whenever I'm very selective with my bets, and I actually was towards the beginning of baseball season. For those of you guys that followed me last year, you guys know that I was putting out like five baseball plays a day, and I was awful. I was down over 10 units. Things did not go well. And the more I just bet these games that maybe I didn't have the best feel for, but I would do my research on and everything like that, the more of those I was getting right than the ones I felt confident on. It's one of those things where I do have a belief of this. The book always knows when they have sort of a stinky line out there and they want you to take it so badly. And then there are just some certain games where the most of the people are going to be like, well, I can't find anything here. Typically, the books, they're not 100% on every one of their lines either. The bookmakers are very sharp. They watch all this stuff and everything like that. But there are plays where they're more confident than they are in other ones as well, just like we betters. If you think that the book has 100% confidence in every last one of those lines to the same extent you're lying. Just like even though I play every side and every total, I have more confidence in some plays than others. The ones I have more confidence on typically lose. That's just 100% honesty. The ones where I'm able to find the biggest advantages and the ones I hit the most are the ones that I really have to mine for research for and I find a slight edge on. So that is why I'm an all sides and all totals guy. So thank you so much for the questions. And now let's take a look back at yesterday's results and try to become better betters from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Indians bats continue to struggle as the Chicago White Sox get a 2-0 win. Both starting pitchers in this one looked more solid than I thought they were going to. Lucas Giolito goes 7.1 innings, gives up three hits, eight strikeouts, lowers his ERA to a 4.06, and then from there, the White Sox bullpen is able to shut the door. As the White Sox, they had eight hits in this one. They were all pretty much scattered. Jeffrey Rodriguez wound up giving up those two runs. He looked pretty solid in this one. Those six innings pitch gives up seven hits, but he only gives up the two runs. He now has a 2.41 ERA, and then from there, the Indians bullpen that I've been noting all year has actually been pretty trustworthy. Saints that doubleheader against the Atlanta Braves. They look pretty good, but for the Indians, you've got some struggling bats out there as Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis, the top two hitters, had all five of the Cleveland Indians hits. The Indians are a team that right now got to be looking at a lot of unders with. Eventually, the bats are going to turn around, but right now, this is a team that is just anemic on offense. Perhaps the pitching matchup on Wednesday will get them turned around. That's a little bit of a teaser, but a team that was able to get the bats turned around in a hurry in their game on Tuesday were the New York Yankees. They were down 4-2 to going into the bottom of the ninth inning against the Seattle Mariners. And then the Seattle Mariners, a team that was up going into a rain delay, was able to extend the lead, wind up gas canning it. 
Anthony Swarzak is the GOAT in this one. He pitches a tenth of an inning in the ninth inning. He gives up all three runs, takes a loss. As for the New York Yankees, coming up clutch in that ninth inning, Gio Urshula, his second home run of the year. This kid has been absolutely sensational. He's hitting 360. That was his ninth RBI. He's been doing terrific. And Masayor Tanaka looked better in this start. 6.1 innings gave up two runs, both of which were earned. And you got to continue to trust Marco Gonzalez as a starter for the Seattle Mariners. He is by far the race. Six innings pitch, gives up three hits, one run. He looks sensational. 308 is now ZRA, but in 2.2 innings of relief, the Mariners give up four runs out of the bullpen. Just absolutely inexplicable. But I will say that for the Mariners, they continue to get their power. Edwin Encarnacion goes deep for his 11th home run of the year, and Jay Bruce two doubles. So the Mariners continue to score runs, and they continue to give them up from the bullpen. The Baltimore Orioles bullpen wound up costing you if you had the run line of plus one and a half. The Orioles were able to get a little bit of power themselves as going deep for this team was Rio Ruiz. That was his third home run of the year. And this guy's actually been a nice find for them as well. Hanser Alberto winds up going yard for his second home run of the year. He's hitting above 300. But now we get to the pitching of the Baltimore Orioles as David S. is a guy that you just cannot trust. He winds up giving up three runs and four innings in his chart. And then Brandon Klein winds up pouring lighter fluid from their winning pitch. He gives up three runs himself. He has a 7.50 ERA. Miguel Castro's ERA at the bullpen for the Baltimore Orioles, a 7.88. And for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to get some very good relief pitching as Hector Velasquez, the starter, figured he wouldn't go long. He went three innings. He gave up two runs, both of which were earned. But the bullpen, even though it's not great, beginning to look a little bit better. Ryan Brazier giving up two runs isn't great, but he still has a 3.68 ERA. Matt Barnes winds up getting the save. He has a 188 ERA. Brandon Workman, 162. He made an appearance. And despite giving up a run, Marcus Walden had a 177 with his ERA. And then the power surge was there for the Boston Red Sox. Mitch Moreland, his 10th home run of the year. J.D. Martinez, his 5th. Xander Bogarts, his 7th. This is a Boston Red Sox team that is really putting up runs in bunches right now. Very impressed by what I'm seeing out of that team. Also very impressed by what I'm seeing out of the Minnesota Twins. They get another under and they get another win against the Toronto Blue Jays as the Blue Jays have forgotten how to hit. Ever since Vlad Guerrero got called up to the big leagues, this team is hitting under 200 as a collective. As for the Minnesota Twins, Mitch Garver was able to supply some power in 7th home run of the year, but it was Jose Barrios who looks like a Cy Young candidate at this point. Seven innings pitch, does not give up a single run. From there, the bullpen gives them two scoreless innings as well. For the Toronto Blue Jays, Aron Sanchez had a decent start in this one. He continues to have a walk issue. He had three walks. He got out of a bit of trouble. Seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The Blue Jays bullpen from there looked good, but this is just a Toronto Blue Jays team that you got to be taking unders with. Their offense is struggling mightily right now. Another offense that is struggling right now, the Detroit Tigers. They wind up losing to the Angels by a count of 5-2. Shohei Otani made his season debut for the Angels. He winds up going 0-4 for 4 with two strikeouts. you got to figure that he's going to be able to ride the ship, but guys have raided the ship for this team, and Dalton Simmons now hitting nearly 290. That was huge for him, and the LA Angels really didn't get a whole lot of power, but the guy that was able to get it done on the mound for this team, going 5.1 innings, and his second career start is Griffin Canning. He now has a 4.66 ERA, very good up-and-coming pitcher for them, and then in 3.2 innings of relief, the bullpen does not give up a single run. Daniel Norris, who started for the Detroit Tigers, did not have his best of outings. Allows three runs in five innings, so nothing awful, but nothing great. Zach Rangington, who gave up one run in one inning of relief, actually lowered his ERA to a 14.40. 
And here's how bad the bullpen is of the Detroit Tigers. Jose Manuel Fernandez in two tenths of an inning gives up one run to lower his ERA to a 17-18. 17-18, I think that Great Britain was a pretty powerful country at that time. Oh boy, things not going well for that bullpen. Things not going well for the Arizona Diamondbacks in Tampa Bay as the Rays once again win a game by two plus runs. They have won all but one of their 23 games by at least two runs. And getting it done for the Tampa Bay Rays on the mound was a combination of Ryan Stanek and Jalen Beeks. Jalen Beeks winds up going 3.1 innings after Stanek gives them a two-inning opening start. These guys combined for one run given up. Now, it was a little bit concerning that in the ninth inning, Adam Cloreric gave up two runs. And if you had the over in this game, you had to be very happy about that as Wilmer Flores was able to go deep for his second home run of the year. And the same goes for the backup catcher, Carson Kelly, so that was great. But what wasn't great for the Arizona Diamondbacks was the fact that the relief pitching once again let them down. Taylor Clark, in his start, wound up giving up just two runs at six innings. It's actually better than I thought he was going to, but Yoshi Hirano gives up three runs in relief. Matt Andres gives up an additional run. The Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen just appears to be not very effective, but the Tampa Bay Rays bats appear to be. Brandon Lowe gets a leadoff home run, his eighth home run of the year. He's hitting above 300, and this team doesn't necessarily have a bunch of world beaters, but they just continue to find offense in a lot of places. The Washington Nationals need to find some offense as they were able to get into the lineup. A couple guys that were banged up, most importantly, the return of Anthony Rendon, but they don't scratch across a single run against the Milwaukee Brewers as the Brewers wind up using a six-run seventh inning to get a 6-0 win. For the Nationals, they had a total of five hits. In his return, Anthony Rendon goes 0-3, for 3, so obviously not a good sign there. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, they didn't get a home run in this game, but they were just able to drive them around. Lorenzo Cain's three RBI double in the seventh inning was really the big one. It was Adrian Hauser who gave a two-inning opening start for the Milwaukee Brewers and then turned it over to Freddie Peralta. The reason why Peralta did not pitch to start the game is because his ERA in the first inning throughout his career is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12 or 13, but he looked terrific coming out of the pen. Five innings pitch, he winds up getting five strikeouts, giving up three hits. The whole Milwaukee Brewers pitching staff looked good. And then for the Nationals, Steven Strasburg looked good at the beginning of the game, but he just completely unraveled in that seventh. 6.2 innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then Dan Jennings, who has seen a lot of relief time so far with the Washington Nationals, gives up an additional two runs, including three walks. He now is a 16.88 ERA and the man that relieved him from there gave up zero runs in his one inning. Joe Ross, 1080 ERA. I guess you could call that a 1080 EZ because I think that that's a tax form. I was trying to be funny there. I apologize. But something that was funny was the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies put up a funny amount of runs as they get an 11-1 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. The Phillies were able to get a home run out of Bryce Harper, his seventh of the year, and Reese Hoskins, his 11th. Aaron Nola looked like his old self. This was by far his best start of the year. Six innings pitch, gives up one run, lowers his ERA to a 4.57, and then from there, Juan Niasco was able to give them two scoreless innings, and then that really put them in position to be able to get victory. The Phillies pound out 12 hits, and Dakota Hudson, guy that you got to be fading at this point, I know that only two of the eight runs that he gave up were earned, but this is a guy that I just cannot trust because in five innings, he did give up those eight runs, two of which were earned. Now, it is magnified by the fact that Paul Goldschmidt and 
Colton Wong both made errors in this game. But then from there, the bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals also looked bad. Dominique Leon, who I feel like I'm mentioning his name every night, gave up another run. 918 is now his ERA. And Luke Gregerson in 1.1 innings of relief gave up two runs as well. So the Cardinals continue to play overs and you continue to not be able to trust Dakota Hudson. Uh, something else that you can't trust is the Miami Marlins bullpen as they wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs 5-2. If you had under 6.5 runs in this one, I just really feel bad for you as this game was 2-2 going into the bottom of the ninth inning. And then Chris Bryant hits a three-run home run. Looks like he might be getting out of his swoon. That was his sixth home run of the year. And then Albert Almora Jr. wound up going deep. That was his second home run of the year. This was a good battle of aces as well as John Lester. Got the start for the Chicago Cubs. He winds up giving up two runs, none of which were earned, though, in six innings as Jason Hayward made an error on a fly ball and Kyle Schwarber also made an error out there in the outfield. So technically, the pitching staff of the Cubs gave up zero earned runs, and John Lester continues to get faded, and I have no idea why. He's a pitcher I'm looking to back. one for one ERA so far this year. He's been terrific. And Caleb Smith also gave a good start. 6.2 innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. 11 strikeouts. That did include that dinger to Almora. He has a 2.11 ERA. He's been good, but Adam Connolly in the bullpen winds up giving it up for the Miami Marlins. He now is an 8 10 ERA. He's just been a terrible reliever. He was a terrible starter. So no surprise there as the Marlins wind up taking that L. The Houston Astros surprisingly just got completely shellacked. They seem to be playing a lot of overs, but it's either they get 10 runs or the other team gets 10 runs. You just don't know who it's going to be at this point. As the Kansas City Royals just pounded them mercilessly and this was with Whit Merrifield getting his sixth home run of the year, Jorge Soler, his ninth, and Ryan O'Hearn, his fourth. Danny Duffy actually gave a good start in this one. 6.2 innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. That did include a home run, and providing that power was Alex Bregman, his tenth thinger of the year, but... Colin McHugh is a guy that we've got to be fading at this point. Three innings pitch. He gives up eight runs, all of which were earned. He had a couple good starts to begin the year, but things have really fallen downhill. The Houston Astros bullpen did not get a good appearance from Framber Valdez, who wound up putting his ERA up to a 491 after he gave up four runs and three innings of relief. It got so bad that Tyler White wound up providing an inning of relief, and hey, he gave up no runs in that inning, so I give him a little bit of credit there, but just an obviously unusual night there. An unusual night for the San Francisco Giants as they emerge for 14 runs against the Colorado Rockies, getting a 14-4 win. Madison Bumgarner had a solid start, six innings pitch, gives up three runs, including two home runs. His ERA now 399, and then from there, the Giants bullpen that has been good since that series against the Cincinnati Reds gives up just one run, so good on them. The home run that he gave up was to Charlie Blackman in the first inning. That was his fifth, and Chris Iannetta tacked on a garbage-time home run for his second home run of the year, and for the Colorado Rockies, Antonio Senzatella just got dinged to all heck. 4.2 innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs to a San Francisco Giants team that has been struggling with the bats. Evan Longoria, his fifth home run of the year. Kevin Pillar goes deep for his sixth home run of the year. And then newly acquired left fielder Mac Williamson winds up going deep for his first home run. That was absolutely huge for them. And then for the Colorado Rockies, a bullpen that has been pretty good so far this year. 
did not get the job done. So O has been the weak link out there all year long. His ERA is nearly eight. He gave up two runs. And then DJ Johnson gives up five runs in one inning. His ERA is now ballooned to a 926. So that's something that you want to note with the Colorado Rockies. The Dodgers just wind up shellacking the Atlanta Braves by a count of nine to zero. Justin Turner, I had noted this on the podcast a few times, had really been struggling in regards to power. He hits his second, third, and fourth home runs of the year. You got to think that those six RBI that he got are going to be able to get him going. And then Hunjin Ryu was spectacular. Complete game, gives up four hits, no earned runs. And for the Atlanta Braves, Max Freed got knocked out after one inning, giving up four runs, including one of those home runs to Justin Turner. Josh Omelin actually looked decent in relief. Four innings pitch, he only gave up one run. That was a home run to, you guessed it, Justin Turner. But then from there, Jerry Blevins gives up four runs. This is just a bullpen of the Braves that you cannot trust. And from game to game, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Braves because they only get four hits in this one. Hunjin Ryu looking very, very solid, but... Man, that is a tough one. And then the New York Mets were able to get a win over the San Diego Padres. Got to give the Mets a lot of credit because going into this game, they had not broken three runs in the entire month. And then they wind up exploding. And the big difference maker was a Pete Alonzo home run in the ninth inning. That was his 11th of the campaign as Noah Syndergaard did not have the best of starts in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, four of which were earned. That was after he went a complete game against the Cincinnati Reds and not give up a single run there. So that was good for his confidence. And then it was also good for the San Diego Padres in defeat that they were able to get a little bit of power as Famiel Reyes continues to emerge. He has his 10th home run of the year. He was really getting the short end of the second in regards to luck. We talked about this with David Adler earlier on the podcast that he was just hitting the ball right at people. And then Ty France was able to hit his first home run of the year. But for the San Diego Padres, got to be a little bit concerned that the bullpen imploded in this one. Cal Quantrill wound up getting the start. He gave up two runs in 4.1 innings. Did not give him great length, but he at the same time didn't completely gas can the game. And then a couple guys that have been pretty reliable for this team just wound up blowing it. Craig Stamen winds up giving up a run. Adam Warren, who entered with an ERA of a 368, gives up that home run in the ninth inning to Pete Alonzo. And then they just didn't get anything out of Phil Mayton as well. Mayton was absolutely sensational for this team earlier in the year. Entered the night with a 432 ERA. He didn't record an out and he left with a 648. So obviously some bad signs there. And then this game is still in progress because there was a long rain delay. But right now, Mike Fires, yes, Mike Fires, through seven innings has a no-hitter. Mike Fires entered the night with an ERA of above a 6-8, and in seven innings, the Reds right now have no hits. Now, I have no idea how this game's going to wind up because the A's are currently in a 1-0 lead in the top of the seventh, but this is just absolutely insane, and it shows that we've still got to be taking unders with the Cincinnati Reds because even though they look terrific in that series against the San Francisco Giants playing all four games over and everything like that, this is still a team that sinks on ice in regards to their offense. And then Tyler Molly continues to give this team some quality starts. In six innings, he's given up one run, likely going to be out of the game after 102 pitches, but 369 ERA, and you got to think that the Reds' bullpen is probably going to be able to do a decent job here. So big takeaways from this night are the fact that the Indians just continue to not be able to hit. The Seattle Mariners' bullpen absolutely stinks. So does the Orioles' bullpen. I also forgot about the Pirates knocking off the Texas Rangers by a count of 5-4. to four. 
you can't trust in the Texas Rangers bullpen, and the Pirates are going to have all sorts of bullpen issues themselves as Stephen Brault winds up giving up two runs in four innings, and from there, they need to get five innings out of the bullpen. And that does include a gentleman coming into the game who now has an ERA of a 27 in Davidos Nervasakis. I hope I said that correctly. So, obviously, that's a little bit of a bad sign, but a good sign for the Pirates. Gregory Polanco, it's his first homer of the year, and then for the Texas Rangers, they wound up going one for nine with men in scoring position, but Hunter Pence got his fourth homer of the year and wound up driving in all four runs. And Adrian Sampson, a not-so-good start, winds up giving up five runs in five innings. He was a guy who was looking to back a little bit more. Not a good start there, but good news is Jesse Chavez and Jose LeClerc provide three innings of relief. Both these guys have ERAs above a 6-5, so obviously some good signs there, but getting back to it, the Twins continue to have some great pitching, and they continue to be a bet on team. The Rays continue to cover the run line. The Nationals offense is just completely down in the dumps. Dakota Hudson's a guy that you got to fade. The Marlins bats continuing to stink. The Astros continue to be very feast or famine. We just don't know what to make out of the Atlanta Braves at this point, and Justin Turner seems to be back online. That's what I made out of Tuesday, and now let's turn the page forward to Wednesday, and helping me do so from our buddies over there at Odd Shark is Jill Gallant, and that is next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. On his Twitter profile, he says that he's an occasional BS artist, but in reality, he is a wonderful man that does so many great things with Odd Shark. (laughs) He is our NBA guy. He does a lot with the MLB. We had him on during the college basketball season as well. Does a little bit of everything, and you can follow him on Twitter at GDog5000 with dog spelled D-A-W-G. It is Jill Gallant joining me, and Jill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Greg. What a great intro. I really appreciate that. Happy to be here. It's how I get these checks right here. I don't make (laughs) money off my plays on Twitter, but when I'm able to give those great introductions to people like yourself, I'm able to get that. But speaking of people that are getting checks, The New York Yankees have a very high payroll, but they have been without so many players this year, and yet they just continue to get the job done. We saw them on Monday look very impressive against the Seattle Mariners. They're going to be facing off with them again on Wednesday. What has been your overall thoughts on this Yankees team? Just because I thought that this is a team that was going to fall back to earth with all the injuries and everything like that, but it just seems like the more injuries they get, the more they continue to win. Yeah, it, it shocks me every time because I had to check the MLB standings again just before I was doing my research. And I was like, wow, they have won 20 games already. And I can't even name half of their starting lineup right now or bidding a batting order because they've had so many injuries. Like, I know they're missing a lot of key pieces, but they're facing the Mariners. They're probably going to have Lo Saiga, I believe, uh, starting for them. He'll probably be their opener. That's what I mean, yep. Yeah, and uh, I imagine he probably won't even pitch more than two or three innings so far, just looking at his track record so far. They'll probably turn it over to the bullpen, which is still fairly solid. Plus, I still think the Yankees are going to win tomorrow because I really don't see the hype about Yusei Kikuchi. Like, I thought he was supposed to be good. Just looking over the years, like the trend for pitchers coming up from overseas, usually they have a decent first year. Big league offenses kind of struggle maybe to figure them out, but... He hasn't been very good at all. Like in five road starts this year, he has a 4.23 ERA. He's allowed 29 hits. Yeah, I still think the Yankees are going to probably knock him around tomorrow. 
And the Yankees lineup with guys like Gary Sanchez and Miguel Andujar back in correct at just the right time. And DJ LeMahieu has been a very good addition to them as well. And a team that we're really noticing rising, as you mentioned, that the Yankees have 20 wins. The San Diego Padres entered into Tuesday with 20 wins themselves. They're going to have Matt Stram going on the mound against the Mets. Currently, the Mets have yet to decide a starting pitcher because Jason Vargas is now on the 10-day injured list. But all in all, I love what I've seen out of the San Diego Padres. Pretty much all their starters have been pretty solid this year. I think that maybe aside from Joey Lucchese has been a little bit underwhelming this year. But all in all, I do feel like the starting pitching has gotten the job done. And then the bullpen is one of the few in the big leagues I can actually trust. Absolutely. And I mean, Strom tomorrow against the Mets, he doesn't really need to be that great because the Mets offense is awful. Like, they're like, uh, over the like last seven games, they're only hitting 181. That's the worst in MLB. They've only scored 11 runs. Like, they could bring in Doc Gooden and they, I still wouldn't back the Mets, you know. So I think Padres minus one and a half is definitely the play for that game tomorrow. We've got Joe Galante to me right here on MLB overtime betting. And it feels like the whole NL East is right now in a power outage. The Braves have been getting the job done with the bats. They were able to play an over on Monday against the Dodgers, and then they had a couple good games against the Miami Marlins. But we've really noticed the Philadelphia Phillies hitting has come back down to earth. The Washington Nationals are all sorts of banged up. What do you make out of this division in general? Just because there are a lot of ace pitchers out there that are really struggling. Jacob DeGrom looked good against the San Diego Padres on Monday, but he wound up taking the loss because, let's face it, it's hard to win a game in which the team that you're pitching for scores zero runs. Noah Syndergaard has had his struggles this year. Aaron Nola for the Phillies has been struggling. Steven Strasburg is up and down. Max Scherzer, we all know about that. It just feels like a really weird division in general. Yeah, I think it's really going to be last man standing in that division. Nobody really can hit being May. You know, maybe it might take until like June or July before we really see the power surge from these teams. But I mean, I knew Washington was going to have a regression when Bryce Harper left. But I mean, their whole team in general has just been taken a huge step back. You know, the, the Phillies are going to be better, but, you know, on paper, they should be way better than what they're doing right now. They have a great home record, but on the road, they're pretty poor this year. Yeah. And I mean, even the Braves, I'm still not even thrilled with them when they're going to be playing the Dodgers. They're going to be playing Clayton Kershaw and he's looked really good so far coming back. Fulty, you know, he's gotten rocked in both of his starts this year for the Braves. When he faced the Dodgers last year, he really got knocked around in two starts uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, the, the Braves are probably overmatched playing the Dodgers as well. I do agree with you. The Dodgers seem to be a little bit of a hit or miss team and I think the big question you have with the Dodgers is a bullpen at this point. We saw Kenley Jansen give up that walk-off grand slam to Hunter Renfro a couple days ago. Emi Garcia and Caleb Ferguson, not necessarily guys I want to stick my chips into the basket with if I'm holding a lead. And we've just noticed it with so many of these bullpens. They're just blowing leads left and right. And it's just hard to find what bullpens you can really trust because I brought up that I really like the San Diego Padres bullpen. I feel like that's one that you can trust. Who are a couple bullpens that you might be able to look at late in the game and you say, you know what, this actually might be a trustworthy one because I'm not finding too many other than the Padres and I would also say the Houston Astros. Yeah, that's the team I was going to mention is the Astros. And one thing I looked at just for this point of the season, that was one of the things I've noticed so far was that I tried to look at what the Mendoza line for ERA is for all bullpens right now, and it's hovering around 4.22. And when I looked at last year's ERA for the full season, it was around 3.95. So I'm thinking that doesn't seem like a big difference, but when you just take over the course of the amount of games that have been played, that's a huge difference as far as how many runs are being given up after the starter leaves the game. I do think that there's plenty of time 
you know, as the summer goes along for relievers to get their act together. But like other than Houston, Cleveland, I really like their bullpen, but the fact that they can't really hit that well, you know, if your starters can even get past five innings, we might have something to work with there. Of course, Tampa, who has really shocked me with beating the AL East. Of course, they have a great starting rotation, but the fact that their bullpen right now this year, they're at 3.40. They have only owned two saves all year. So Tampa would probably be one of the other bullpens that I would trust if I'm not betting first five. Absolutely. As we do have Joe Gallant joining me right here on the podcast. And something else I've noticed with the Tampa Bay Rays is that going into Tuesday, they had won all but one of their games by at least two runs or more. Do you ever remember a trend of a team being so good on the run line to win 21 of your first 22 games by two plus runs? To me, it just seems absolutely asinine. Yeah, it, it seems a little like it's it's not something that clearly could be sustainable over a 162-game season, but they would be one of the teams that really have surprised me. Like, I thought the Rays would have been a wildcard team this year. Out of all the divisions and the division leaders so far, they're my biggest surprise at this stage. They also have the best run differential in MLB at this point in the season as well. So again, another shocking thing uh, for the Rays. Hate to say it, but I think they might end up winning the division this year. It's absolutely insane to say that, as we all know that the Boston Red Sox are the defending world champions. They wind up losing to the Baltimore Orioles on Monday, but I will say that I feel like we're seeing some better signs out of the Boston Red Sox. Now David Price being on the 10-day injured list does not help as they had to trot out there. Josh Smith on Monday, that can explain a lot of their loss, but we're noticing guys like Mookie Betts and company being able to pick up the bats. The bullpen has looked much better than it did at the beginning of the year, and taking a look at their matchup with the Baltimore Orioles on Wednesday, it looks like they're going to be sending out there to the mound Chris Sale, who he's one in five this year. If you've been betting on him in every one of his starts, you've been losing a lot of money, but it does seem like he's starting to finally get on the right track. So I guess that's what I was going to, is Chris Sale back? I've tracked his velocity as the year has gone on, like the velocity on his fastball, it's, it's gone up as the season has gone on. And he looked awesome against the White Sox in his last start. I'm not really sure if I'm fully ready to trust him again. The other thing too, and this is something that I wanted to point out to the listeners, is that Andrew Kashner is going to be starting for the Orioles. He's actually been like the most profitable pitcher in the big leagues. Yeah, if you bet $100 on each one of his starts, you'd be up 708 bucks at this stage of the season. And what's funny about Sale, yes, he bounced back against the White Sox, but if you bet $100 against him every start, you'd be up $544. He's the third least profitable pitcher based on $100 bets in the MLB this season. So for this specific game, I'm not going to just use that as a reason to bet, but I'll lean with the Sox minus one and a half if I had to make a bet just because the Orioles are so bad across the board. I'm right there with you. I'm looking at the Red Sox run line, but how funny is it that one of the least profitable pitchers in the MLB has the last name sale? I won the most profitable pitchers, and they're both in the same game. His name Cashner. I I just think that that's absolutely hilarious. Personally, hopefully I'm not the only one laughing right here, but I just thought that that was great. And speaking of teams that have been making a whole lot of cash, how about the Minnesota Twins? They have been a big surprise. Currently leading the AL Central, Martin Perez gave them a terrific start on Monday. They now have Kyle Gibson going to the mound on Wednesday against Trent Thornton, a guy that is 0-3 but looked better in his last start with the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know about you, but I think that the the Minnesota Twins are in a very good spot in general. And aside from Michael Pineda, I'm going to be looking to bet on this team a lot. Absolutely, yes. So, like, I wouldn't trust Kyle Gibson to win the game, like, on his own. But I don't think he'll be the one that loses it. Like, the Jays' hitting is just so bad. Like, one thing I looked up, uh, I just wanted to see how Toronto's hitting has been since Vladdy Jr. got called up. 
and they are last in the uh, league. He said he blows the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And second, but the Jays in general, like the entire team, like they're second last in batting average and runs scored per game since he's gotten called up. They've only scored five or more runs twice in nine games since he's got called up. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to lean to the Twins at this point. They roughed up Trent Thornton a little bit when they faced him in mid-April. And another thing too is I got a future ticket on the Twinkies to win the AL Central. So right now, I'm feeling pretty good about their chances. Very nice. I do like that. And something else I do like, the fact that we're probably going to have a lot of runs between the Texas Rangers and the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm taking a look at this pitching matchup, and it's just absolutely startling. You've got Shelby Miller for the Texas (laughs) Rangers, and you've got for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Nick Kingham at a total of nine. Try to talk me out of this over right here, because I don't see how either of these teams does not get to five runs. The only way that this I would take an under in this game is if it was set at like 20 or something like that. Like, And to be fair, I would probably just take the Pirates minus one and a half because Shelby Miller is awful. He's allowed four earned runs or more in five of seven games. Is he the new Homer Bailey? That's a pretty that's a pretty tall label to give him. I, I but I mean right now he he holds the torch for that. Like he's lost both of his road starts. He's only struck out ten guys in twenty point one innings. The Rangers are four and nine on the road this season. This is what I have to say about the Pirates. If they do not hit well against Shelby Miller, like I don't know what to tell them. Like they're not very good offensively just across the board. But if you can't put up at least five or six runs on Shelby, then uh, yeah, I, I have no time for you. The last time the Pirates played against the Rangers and Shelby Miller was on the bump, the Pirates did cover that run line, by the way. That was a couple weeks ago. I firmly remember that as Shelby Miller had three scoreless innings and then they just cleared the bases and got four runs in the fourth inning. So I expect something very similar there. And to your point on Shelby Miller, 20 walks and 20 and two-thirds innings. How is yeah, that possible? Just, like his whip, I believe, is like close to like 1.8. 2.03. Right like oh, <laughs> yeah. So th- there you go. It's pretty bad to think that he got traded for Dansby Swanson. Like it's hard to even fathom that that trade even happened now. So, yeah, I, I mean, the fact that he has a starting job, probably just goes to show that there's not a lot of talent in the Rangers ranks right now. <laughs> Anytime he's pitched, I would recommend to fade him at any time. I totally agree with you as we do have Joe Galant of Odd Shark joining me right here on the podcast. And then something else I'm taking a look at for Wednesday is the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff has looked better in his most recent couple starts. He gives up one run in five innings against the New York Mets last week. He's going up against Jeremy Ellickson, who's 2-0 record. Very, very deceiving as he's got a 5-3-3 RA. As we both know, he doesn't go deep into starts. Not necessarily a guy that has great swing and miss stuff. Is it just me or does it feel like this is a good spot to look at a Brewers run line? Absolutely. Like, and maybe I'm in the minority, but I kind of think Brandon Woodruff is the Brewers best pitch starter. Like for me, uh, like he's got a few rough games. Babies. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, it's Coke, Pepsi kind of thing, right? Like, I mean, I, I think they're both pretty good. But Brew Crew, like, they've managed him fairly well. He hasn't really exceeded 100 pitches in any of his starts. The Nationals in general, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think they're just a dumpster fire across the board. Hellickson has had one good start this year, but even if he even has, like, maybe a good four or five inning stretch, how can you rely on Nationals' bullpen? They have the worst ERA in the league. Like, the only thing I would say about Hellickson, I wouldn't ride this to the bank, but it just... He's actually gotten a lot of run support in his starts so far this year. He has 7.6 runs per game in support. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm on Brewer online at this stage. And with that total at nine, I could easily see an over as well. And 
a team that played a lot of overs the past couple of days that had been an under team all year long is the Cincinnati Reds. They've got Sonny Gray going against Brad Anderson. I don't know about you, but I think that we're going to see some regression to the mean here with regards to the Cincinnati Reds offense. Getting Senzel up to the big leagues is obviously big, but I'm currently seeing a total between eight and eight and a half, depending on where you look. Eight and a half, obviously, juice very much the under end. Sonny Gray, I know, is 0-4, but I just feel like this is a spot where the Cincinnati Reds bats and the Oakland A's bats just really don't combine for a lot of runs in this matchup. Well, and they've hit well against left-handers, surprisingly, and Brett Anderson is going to be pitching for the Athletics, so they could be a good money line spot at this stage. The other thing, too, that I didn't realize is about the Reds until I was doing some research here, but they're actually the best under team in the league. Uh, 35 of their games, 23 of them have gone under this season. Out of the first 31, only seven went over. Yeah, like it's incredible. The other day I had Luis Castillo on my fantasy team and I was all ready. They're up four nothing and just got rocked. And you know, that proceeded to go over as well when I had the under bet thinking that he was going to lock them up. If I was in this spot, I probably would lean to the over, especially at an eight, eight and a half line. Yeah. The Reds offense has just let me down too many times over the year and even just this season to really want to rely on them to actually win the game. So I would probably lean to the over more so than I would probably lean to Reds money line at the spot. And then is there anything else on Wednesday's card that's standing out to you? I do like the Cleveland Indians with Ronaldo Lopez taking the mound for the Chicago White Sox. This guy's just been awful on Shane Bieber fever. Actually not too bad himself, but is there anything else standing out to you? For me at this point, no, I was actually having a hard look at the Cubs minus one and a half. I know that feels like almost like a layup playing against the Marlins, but I really liked how Kyle Hendricks looked in his last start. They've gone on a nice run, Chicago, after their little bit of a struggle there in the first couple of weeks. I believe they're 19 and seven in their last 26 games. And Jose Arena, he keeps getting knocked around and the Marlins have only scored five or more runs twice in his seven starts. He has allowed four earned runs in four consecutive starts. The Marlins for me, much like the Orioles, are an auto fade for me. Yeah, the Marlins just have not been getting this job done. It was a nice win on Monday for them, but all in all, things aren't necessarily going well. But things are going well at Odd Shark and Jill. I would like to close it up with this because I know you do tremendous work for them. Let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. Absolutely, Greg. So you can find all of our uh, content at oddshark.com. I am one of the main NBA writers, and then we have another stable of writers who all tackle all different sports. If you want to find any of my content, you can go onto Twitter at gdog5000, and you can see what kind of NBA picks I'm making today. So any of the previews that we write for Oddshark, we will post picks for those games. Yeah, you can always find our stuff there, and we're going to be having content uh, going right through, right up until the end of the NBA Finals and right through the rest of the year. Terrific. A big thanks to Jill Galan for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the show in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's MLB betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, you better not blow it. 
And a big thanks to Joe Galant of Odd Shark for joining me in the last segment as we are back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted up on my Twitter page, at GUnit underscore 81. Some of these plays are locked in. Some of these plays are going to be pending, waiting on different numbers, lineups, weather, things like that. So that'll be noted. Going to notice that it's very, very chalk heavy today, unfortunately. And we do have a couple games off the board as well. Those will be noted as we go along. As we go in Las Vegas rotation order, as always, 951, 952 on the bang rotation is where we start with the Nationals. On the road facing off against the Brewers. Brandon Woodruff. On the mound for the Brewers, Jeremy Ellickson goes for the Nationals. All in this game is 9 with the over and under both at minus 110. If you like the Nationals, you're going to be getting a plus price of plus 165. Want to lay it here with the Brewers? It is minus 180. This is a spot where I do look at the run line with the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's face it, we were talking about this game with Joe Gallant. The Washington Nationals have won the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues, and Jeremy Ellickson just doesn't go deep into his starts. The 2-0 record is deceiving as he's got a 1-4-8 whip, 5-3-3 ERA, and 27 innings pitch. He's given up five home runs. Woodruff, meanwhile, he hasn't necessarily been impressive with a 4-71 ERA, but it really looks like he's rounding into form. In his last start, he wound up giving up one run in five innings against the Mets for the year. He has a 4-71 ERA, just four home runs given up in 36 and a third innings. And with the Brewers, it seems like their bullpen is getting much healthier, as is their lineup in general, is because they've got Christian Yelich back in it. Hitting 342, 15 home runs, 36 RBIs. He's been impressive. Meanwhile, with the Washington Nationals, the list of injuries is piling up. Matt Adams, Trey Turner, Tony Sipp, all on the injury list. Jan Gomes is now day-to-day as well. He wasn't doing much for this team anyway, but with that said, an injury is an injury. They've been without Anthony Rendon for about half the season, and Anthony Rendon has honestly probably been their best player, hitting nearly 350. Before he went on the injured list, six home runs, 18 RBI. Obviously a very good sign that he was able to return to it, so that should give the Nationals a little bit of pop of Juan Soto was not in the lineup yesterday. You're having to rely on an infield of guys like Brian Dozier and Wilmer Defoe to get the job done, and they just have not been good. Michael A. Taylor is back in it, but was only hitting 103 going into Tuesday as well. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they do have some hit or miss bats as well. Mike Boustakis has picked it up after a bad start to the year. Yasmani Grandal, after a white hot start, though, has cooled down. He's hitting 264. Ben Gamble hitting 300 is nice, but Jesus Aguiar, Travis Shaw, and Manny Pina are all hitting below 200. Orlando Arcia seems to be picking it up. Lorenzo Kane hitting 260. A little bit of a woe there as well, but I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get to a bad Washington Nationals bullpen. And let's face it, a gentleman in Jeremy Helkson that is just not going to give them any length. For that reason, I'm currently waiting C mode on a Brewers run line and the over. The Brewers run line I'm currently seeing is plus 105. I'm hoping that with the news of Anthony Rendon coming back that it's going to lift that up a little bit more. 953, 954 on the bang rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies are in St. Louis to face off against the Cardinals. Jack Flaherty on the bump for the Cardinals. Jared Eikhoff goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total in this game is 8.5 with the over and under, both at minus 110. If you like the Phillies, you're going to be getting a plus price between plus 126 and plus 130. Want to lay it here with the Cardinals anywhere between minus 136 and minus 140. What I've been noticing is that the Philadelphia Phillies bats have really been cooling down. Meanwhile, with the Cardinals, 
They have scored four or more runs, I believe, in now 20 of their last 24 games. This is a team that's been doing a great job offensively, and I do think that Jared Eikhoff is going to be able to give a quality start here. For the Philadelphia Phillies, he's been pretty good. He's given them three starts and one long relief appearance for a total of 22 innings. He has yet to give up a home run, 27 punch-outs, 205 ERA, 105 whip. That's pretty impressive. Jack Flaherty, meanwhile... He just seems to have a bugaboo against the Brewers in 36 and two-thirds innings. He's given up eight home runs, 4-170 RA, 1-2-5 whip, 3-2 record. But if you take a look at all of his starts when he's not going against the Milwaukee Brewers, he's been doing a much better job. In his two starts against the Milwaukee Brewers, he wound up going eight and two-thirds innings combined in those two and giving up nine runs. He did give up three runs in his most recent start against the Chicago Cubs, a pass that he's been very good, and last year was a very good bet on pitcher. And I just like the Cardinals in general with their lineup. Marcelo Zuna going into Tuesday's action was hitting nearly 260, 11 home runs, 30 RBI. You can really trust in him. Dexter Fowler is now back in the lineup, hitting just below 300. You got to think that Paul Goldschmidt at some point is going to be able to boost his average from right in the 250 range, but Paul DeYoung has been picking up the slack along with Jose Martinez. Both these guys hitting above 230. Colton Wong at the bottom of the lineup has cooled down, but Yadier Molina has heated up as well. And then when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, Reese Hoskins is really doing the job for them. Going into Tuesday, he was hitting 281 with 10 home runs at 31 RBI. Mikel Franco even at the bottom of the lineup with his 256 average of 25 RBI has been great. And JT Riamuto has been a nice find, but Bryce Harper... Striking out way too much and hitting 226 has been a woe. Andrew McCutcheon hitting below 250 at the top of the lineup. Gene Segura has been nice at 337, but you could tell that they missed Nick Kingray as well. I do think that guys like Hector Neris and Sir Anthony Dominguez and all those guys are going to be able to do a decent job for the Phillies in the bullpen, but I do like the Cardinals a little bit more with guys like Galagos coming in. Jordan Hicks as well. He's actually really developed into a nice closer for the St. Louis Cardinals who have a top 10 bullpen ERA in the major league, so I put a little bit more faith in them. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I think that Jack Flaherty and Jared Eikhoff both going to be able to give some quality starts here, but I do think that in the end the Cardinals are going to be able to pull it out. Currently in wait and see mode on the under and the St. Louis Cardinals because I've been noticing a little bit of overseam coming in on this series, and I would like to see if I can maybe lay a little bit closer to minus 125 or minus 130 with the St. Louis Cardinals. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting rotation. The New York Mets are in San Diego to face off against the Padres. Matt Stram on the bump for the Padres. Wilmer Font will be essentially an opener for the New York Mets as this game is off the board since Font was not announced as a starter until right around 6, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, so I've got absolutely nothing for you here, but what I do have for you is the fact that Matt Stram has really been impressing me with his starts for the San Diego Padres. Looked very good in his last start against the Atlanta Braves as the Padres were able to pulverize them by a count of 11-2 to in that game. And for the New York Mets, this is a team that is just not hitting to save their lives. Going into Tuesday, they had not broken three runs in a single game in the month of April. We're noticing that a lot of these bats have really come back to earth. Pete Alonso still hitting 271 with 10 home runs. He's really been a nice player for the team. He had that home run that sent that Brewers game into the 18th inning. Past that, who's really getting the job done for this team? Jack McNeil hitting 352 is obviously nice, but Robinson Cano and Wilson Ramos both hitting 240 or lower. Michael Conforto coming back to earth. Hechevarria and Todd Frazier, who are newly into the lineup in the infield. Todd Frazier was hurt, and Hechevarria was a little bit of an ad. Both these guys 
hitting right around the Mendoza line and in the case of Todd Frazier, well below it, while Lagares hitting just above 200 himself. It just is not going well for the bats. Meanwhile, with the San Diego Padres, you're getting a lot more production out of Hunter Renfro. On Sunday and Monday, he was able to hit a home run in each of those games. Manny Machado seems to finally be picking it up with the bat. He has eight home runs so far this year. Average slide 237, that's a whoa. Ian Kinsler, not necessarily hitting the best, but he did have three home runs last week. You got to think that that'll get him going. Catcher spot in general has not been good for this team, and Will Myers still struggling with the bat, but you got to like the way that Eric Hosmer has gotten his average up to 281 as well. This is a spot where I'm probably going to be taking a look at the San Diego Padres. Not sure what price I'm going to be getting or anything like that, but if this is a total that is above 8, I'm going to be certainly taking it under. The Padres don't necessarily have the best bats, and what we're noticing with the Mets is that they have just went cold, and I think that Matt Sram is going to be able to shut them down. So right now looking at the Padres in and under, but currently don't have numbers to bet on, so check back on my Twitter page at GUNITERS31 for set plays in the morning. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting rotation. The Miami Marlins are in Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Kyle Hendricks on the bump for the Cubs. Jose Urania for the Miami Marlins. Marlins are anywhere between a plus $2 and plus 205 underdog. If you like the Cubs, you're going to be laying between minus 220 and minus 230. Totals off the board since this is a regularly field game. We have to wait until the morning for that total to be posted as per usual. And Kyle Hendricks is a very, very puzzling starter, to say the least. He is coming off a shutout in which he threw 81 pitches to be able to get that shutout against a St. Louis Cardinals lineup that had been white hot. But for the year, he's 2-4, and and if you take out that start, he has an ERA above 5. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. He does a good job of limiting the walks in 34 and a third innings. Only giving up eight free passes and three home runs, which is nice. But he's not a strikeout artist and really lends himself to contact. Jose Urania, meanwhile, things have not necessarily been going the best for him. 1-5 and five record, 545 ERA, 154 whip. But that one win was when he was starting against Max Scherzer. That is a big caveat there. He's given up seven home runs at 39 and two-thirds innings, only 29 punch-outs, but it does seem like he might be riding the ship a little bit. And the Miami Marlins in general seem to be getting a little bit more out of their offense. Miguel Rojas is hitting right around 270, along with Martin Prado, who's hitting towards the top of the lineup at a pretty good rate. You've got Jose Alfaro, who's been leading the team in home runs, sadly, with five, and that was despite being on the injured list. He's actually been doing a nice job at the catcher spot. And then they've been making some moves and shakes because, let's face it, the outfield of Isaac Galloway, Lewis Brinson, all these guys, well, none of these guys are being able to hit Curtis Granderson, case in point, buck 76 average, but you got to think at some point, Sterling Castro is going to hit better than 215. John Birdie seems to be coming along. He had his first home run of the year on Monday, which lifted the team to victory. And with the Chicago Cubs, they've been a little bit inconsistent themselves with the bat. Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, and Albert Almora Jr. all entered into Tuesday's action, hitting 250 or less. Javi Baez has obviously been the constant for this team, along with Wilson Contreras. Both these guys hitting above 310, a combined 20 home runs between the two. But we're noticing that Jason Hayward, after a whiteout start to the year, has been cooling down a little bit. And with the Cubs, you just really can't trust their bullpen. Pedro Strope wound up giving up that game on Monday. He has an ERA above 5. Carl Edwards Jr. is back up at the major leagues after he was sent down to AAA because his ERA is right around 20 so far this year. Brandon Kinsler has been good for them. And then with the Marlins, can you ever trust Sergio Romo with a lead? 
I don't think so. They've got a couple arms that have been doing a decent job, but you've got like Steckenhouse, I believe is his last name. It's a Stecker guy. That's all I know. All I know is that he also has an ERA above six. That's just not good. The only thing that he's stecking is runs up onto his ERA at this point. This is a spot, though, where I do think that Jose Urania is going to be able to bust through. I just don't have any faith in Kyle Hendricks, who was one of the least profitable pitchers in baseball last year. This is a spot where I'm going to be taking the Miami Marlins. Currently, Wade Seamode adds to the price. And with the total, probably going to be looking at an over if the wind is not blowing in. From what I'm seeing, wind will not be blowing in. It looks like it's going to be blowing out a little bit more towards right field, which I think is going to not allow Kyle Hendricks to have the same success that he did last week because I've noticed in his two starts this year, when the wind's blowing in, he's been effective. When the wind's not blowing in, he's just not the same guy. So for that reason, currently on the Miami Marlins and my plays on this game for the rest of it, going to be dependent on the wind. 959, 960 on the banging rotation. The San Francisco Giants are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. John Gray goes for the Rockies. Derek Holland on the bump for the first time since coming off the injured list for the Giants. Troll in this game is 10 with the over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115, under between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Rockies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 158 and minus 160. The Giants are anywhere between a plus 148 and plus 150 underdog. Derek Holland. Just not a guy that I could really back. And John Gray hasn't necessarily been a lights-out flame starter throughout his career, but things seem to be going really well for him, and he's going to be backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues with the Rockies. I will also say the Giants have a solid bullpen themselves, but we really saw them unravel during that Cincinnati Red Series. And they've got Derek Holland, who has a 534 ERA and a 131 whip going out there on the mound. He just lends himself to way too much hard contact. He's too much of a fly ball pitcher to have success here. 32 innings, he has 16 walks and has given up 7 long balls this year. Meanwhile, John Gray, 4-2-2 ERA. He lends himself to a few home runs himself in 42 and two-thirds innings. He's given up seven home runs and 18 walks himself. And for the San Francisco Giants, who's really hitting for this team? Steven Duger right now leads the team in average with a 270. That's been nice. Buster Posey has been able to pick it up. He's hitting more in the neighborhood of 250, but you're looking at guys like Tyler Austin being atop their average leaders, and then the other guys that are playing on a day-to-day basis for this team, just that good. Joe Panic, 208. Brandon Belt, 221. Kevin Pillar, 215. Brandon Crawford, 212. The list goes on and on. They've got absolutely nothing going on. Meanwhile, with Colorado Rockies, ever since their bad 3-12 start, they've really picked things up. Nolan Arenado, going into Tuesday's action, had 9 home runs, 27 RBI, hitting above 300. Daniel Murphy hasn't necessarily come along with the bat, but you got to think at some point he will after spending a lot of time on the injured list. Trevor Story, 270 average, 8 home runs so far this year, and 7 stolen bases, which I think is very underrated. He's a guy that's able to move out there on the base path. Chris Iannetta finally back in the lineup, and along with Garrett Hampson, both these guys spent some time out of it. Both these guys were hitting very poorly at the beginning of the year. Let's see how they do there. And then Charlie Blackman hitting nearly 300 at the top of it as well. I just think that with the Giants' recent form in the bullpen and the fact that Derek Holland is making his first start off the injured list at the Colorado Rockies, are going to be able to hit him and hit him hard. Currently waiting C-Mode on the over, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of an even juice there, but I am all about the Rockies' run line in the spot. That is currently right around plus 115 across town from what I'm seeing. would like to see if I'm able to get maybe a little bit more of a plus 120 or plus 125 price, but... If plus 115 is the best I can do, I will certainly take it. 961, 962 on the betting rotation. It is the Atlanta Braves heading to Los Angeles to face off against the Dodgers. 
Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers. Mike Fultonavich for the Braves. The total on this game between 7.5 and and 8, depending on where you look. With the 7.5, the over is minus 120, the under is even. With the 8, the under is minus 120, the over is even. If you are looking at the LA Dodgers, anywhere between a minus 175 and minus 178 price, if you want to take it here with the Braves, between plus 160 and plus 163, this is a spot where I really do have to trust in Clayton Kershaw because Mike Fultonavich, ever since coming off the injured list, just has not been the same guy. When he faced off against the San Diego Padres last week, he wound up taking a loss by a count of 11-2, was not able to give a good start there. And all in all, it just seems like there's something that's not right about his game. He's just not trusting his fastball as much. Meanwhile, with Clayton Kershaw, ever since he's come off the injured list, he has been doing a terrific job. 1-0 record, 270 ERA, .85 whip, has issued just five walks in 26 innings. The four home runs, a little bit of a concern, but all in all, you got to feel like he's going to be fine. And with these teams, you do have a lot of guys that are doing a good job with the bat. The Dodgers have one in particular in Cody Bellinger, who entering into Tuesday's action was hitting 403 with 14 home runs and 38 RBI. And with the Atlanta Braves, it's a little bit more of a collective. Nick Markakis hitting 331 has been nice. Freddie Freeman has provided seven home runs with a nearly 300 average. Ozzy Albies also has seven dingers of his own. That has been a really big boost for the team, especially with Ronald Acuna Jr. being in a little bit of a funk. But you also got guys like Tyler Flowers that are stepping up with a batting average in the neighborhood of 300. And Dansby Swanson has provided 25 RBI of his own. And then with the Dodgers, you've got some intermiss facts. Kike Hernandez has been cooling down a little bit with hitting only 250 so far this year. Justin Turner has been getting on base, but he only has one home run so far this year. The big encouraging sign for this team, though, is the fact that they're finally getting Chris Taylor on the right footing. He was below the Mendoza line for so much of the year. He's now back up to 231 with three home runs. And Alex Verdugo hitting 326 has been a nice find as well. I think that this is a really good spot for the Dodgers to be able to get right. We're noticing that the Braves bullpen has been improving a little bit with guys like Josh Tomlin doing a little bit of a better job in bridge work. But all in all, you can't trust a lot of these arms out there in the bullpen with guys like Wesley Parsons going into the game. And with this total, I'm going to be looking at the over. Probably going to take over 8 at even juice. I just didn't want to lay the minus 120 on the 7.5, which is what I was seeing beforehand, but have already locked in the Dodgers run line at plus 120 in this spot. 963, 964 on the bang rotation. The Chicago White Sox are in Cleveland to face off against the Indians. Shane Bieber Fever goes for the Indians. Chicago White Sox send out their Renato Lopez. The total on this game is 8.5 with the over at minus 115, the under at minus 105. If you like the Indians, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. If you want to take a shot here on the White Sox, that is a plus 165 price. And it is very hard to trust in our man, Ronaldo Lopez. And it is exactly what the doctor ordered for the Indians because they were unable to hit Ivan Nova a couple days ago. Didn't necessarily look sharp on Tuesday and for the year, hitting right around 213 with 30 home runs in their first 33 games. It's just not been going well for them. For the Cleveland Indians, they also could use a quality start because the bullpen is starting to get gassed because they now have Danny Salazar, Mike Clevenger, and Corey Kluber all injured. It's really not going well for them. They do have Carlos Santana, though. Carlos Santana really has been the concept for this team, hitting 304 with five home runs and 19 RBI, entering into... 
Tuesday's action, but they've got so many other guys that need to pick it up. Ever since coming off the injured list, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Gonzalez, and Jason Kipnis have all not really gotten the job done. Lindor has gotten his average up to 250, but with Kipnis and Carlos Gonzalez, both these guys are hitting below 220. Jose Ramirez is still hitting below the Mendoza line. Leonis Martin just barely above it, along with catcher spot in general. It's just been a mess. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, we've got some guys that are doing a good job of being able to create some solid contact. Yohan Makata hitting 294. He's got seven home runs. Jose Abreu has been doing a great job with his average recently as well. He's got nearly 30 RBI this year. You do have some struggling bats, especially out there in the outfield. Nicky Delmonico, Ryan Cordell, both guys are not really getting things going, but I will say they recently called up a gentleman by the name of Charlie Tilson. He's been doing a great job. He's hitting above 400 for the team, so you got to give him credit. Obviously, very small sample size, but Tim Anderson hitting nearly 330 for the squad to go along with everything else that they're able to offer. But with that said, the Chicago White Sox do send out there a gentleman with a 669 ERA and a 176 whip. Ronaldo Lopez in 36 and a third innings. 20 walks and 9 home runs. Shane Bieber, some of the balls that are hit off of him, you're going to hold your breath on. But all in all, he's really limited the damage that he's taken in 37 innings. 103 whip, 316 ERA, giving up 5 home runs in 37 innings, 42 punch outs, 12 walks. I really like what he's doing. And with the Cleveland Indians, they do have a solid bullpen, and I think that they're going to be able to get to the White Sox. I think that this is where they really bust out. I'm currently seeing a run line price on the Indians of plus 105. Currently in wait and see mode there to see if I can get a little bit more, but I'm certainly going to be looking at the over as well. I just think that this is where their bats break out. Currently I'm seeing minus 115 on the juice on the over. Going to try to see if I'm able to get more of a minus 110 or minus 105. We move on to the Yankees playing host to the Seattle Mariners, 965-966 on the bang rotation. You see Kikuchi goes for the Seattle Mariners. And Jonathan Loizaga on the bump for the New York Yankees as the total in this game is 9.5 with the over at minus 105, the under at minus 115. If you like the Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 139. If you like the Mariners, that is between plus 125 and plus 129. The Seattle Mariners... Just do not have the best of pitching. And with the New York Yankees, it is absolutely stunning how they continue to be able to get things done. And now they're finally getting a little bit healthier. You've got Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar back in the lineup. Now they did struggle a little bit yesterday with their bats, but all in all, the New York Yankees for the season have been doing a tremendous job with their offense despite not having a lot of their big bomber weapons in there. Lucas Voigt has really been able to pick up the... Offense in general hitting right around 255 with 10 home runs. Gary Sanchez is now back in the lineup. He has 11 home runs despite being on the injured list for much of the year. Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar have looked a little bit rusty ever since coming off the injured list, but you got to think that they're going to round into form. Gio Urshela hitting above 350, and Cameron Maben hitting above 300 ever since he got the call-up. Brett Gardner's been a little bit cold, but we are noticing that Gleyber Torres has gotten his average more in the neighborhood of 265, 270-ish as well, so that's been a good sign. Meanwhile, for the Seattle Mariners, they actually got a quality start out of Marco Gonzalez yesterday, which helped out their bullpen a little bit, and they've got a lot of guys that... Their averages are dipping a little bit, but their power is still there. Ryan Healy hitting right around 235, but he's providing some power. Tim Beckham, 275. Jay Bruce below the Mendoza line, but he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. Domingo Santana has 30 RBI this year. Edwin Encarnacion only hitting in the neighborhood of 240 along with Mitch Hanniger, but both these guys have some pop. And D. Gordon at the top of the lineup, 
doing a nice job of being able to get on with a 300 average himself. This is a spot, though, where I feel like the Yankees bullpen with guys like Adam Adovino, Jonathan Holder, or Aroldis Chapman, obviously, Zach Britton, company like that, going to be able to do a much better job late in the game because I do think that both these starting pitchers are going to do a decent job. I know that UC Kikuchi was a gentleman that was experimented with with an opener, but coming off of that, he actually had a very quality seven-inning start. Perhaps that was a wake-up call. And for the year, he's been okay. Right around a four ERA, one one six whip in 40 and two-thirds innings. He's done a nice job of being able to limit the hard contact with five home runs, only nine walks. He's just not a guy that's necessarily overwhelming. And then with Luizaga, you can't think that he's going to be going too far into this game. He's only got 10 innings so far this year. Has been solid in those innings so far this year, though, with a 270 ERA. He has 10 strikeouts in those 10 innings. He's issued six walks, which is obviously a concern, but I think that the fact that the Yankees are going to throw so many different looks at the Seattle Mariners is going to catch them off guard, which is why I do like the Yankees in this spot, trying to see if I'm going to be able to get more of a minus 125 instead of a minus 135. And I'm also looking at this total under because I do think that Kikuchi is going to give a good start, and I think that the Yankees in general are going to be able to have the Mariners stifled a bit. Would like to see if I'm able to get more of a minus 105 or minus 110 juice on under nine and a half, but going to be playing both of those. We move on to 967-968 on the banging rotation. The Boston Red Sox are in Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. Andrew Kashner goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Sale for the Red Sox. Total in this game is 8.5 with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The under is between minus 110 and minus 115. If you like the Red Sox, that is anywhere between minus 245 and minus 260. The Orioles are between plus 215 and plus 220. It was remarkable in talking to Jill Gallant just how successful... Andrew Kachner has been for better so far this year, one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. As we know, Chris Sale, one of the least profitable ones, but he seemed to really get something going against the Chicago White Sox. The Red Sox dropped his first six starts of the year, but something else that we're noticing with the Boston Red Sox is that the bats are really starting to come alive, and that was part of the problem because Chris Sale, in his last couple starts before getting that win, actually looked decent against teams like the Tampa Bay Rays and the Detroit Tigers. It was just the fact that he wasn't able to get any offensive support around him, and now he has that Andrew Benintendi and Mookie Betts at the top of the lineup, both hitting right around 285. J.D. Martinez has been a constant all year long, hitting above 320, but Mitch Moreland, even though he has nine home runs, only hitting around 215 has been a woe. Xander Bogarts is providing some power along with the 250 average, but then it's the guys in the infield and Rafael Devers and Michael Chavis that are hitting right around 300 with some pop that have really been able to emerge. Christian Vasquez has his average above 250 as well at the catcher spot. That's been nice. Jackie Bradley Jr. has just absolutely stunk on ice for this team, but when you've got those other bats, it really does help. And with the Baltimore Orioles, their offense seems to be coming back to earth a little bit as well. They obviously have Trey Boom Moon Mancini, who has been doing a great job with his average. Hitting above 320 has been a nice spark for this team, but a lot of the other guys seem to be tapering off after a very hot start to the year. Dwight Smith Jr. has his average just below 300. He's been solid for this team, and he's been able to provide some power. Rio Ruiz had his third home run of the year. He's hitting 250. That's been okay, but Chris Davis still hitting below 180. Stevie Wilkerson hitting in the neighborhood of 300 along with 8 Alberto, but you've got Jeff Rickard hitting below the Mendoza line. Whoever the Orioles stick in at catcher, it doesn't matter if it's Wins, if it's Jesus Sucre, 
it hasn't gone well for them, to say the least. And then you've got Jonathan VR at the top of the lineup, who seems to be struggling to get on base himself. So for that reason, I do take a look at the Boston Red Sox on the run line in this spot. I feel like Chris Sale has finally refound it, and I do think that the Red Sox are going to be able to win a little bit of a lower scoring game. Currently taking a look at the under, trying to see if I'm going to be able to get a little bit more even juice rather than a minus 110 on the under, but... I do think that Andrew Kashner is still going to be able to give up his runs because despite the fact that he's got his really good record, let's face it, this is a gentleman that has struggled in his time with the Baltimore Orioles and this has been a little bit of a fluke. His 4-1 record comes with a 471 ERA and a whip of a 146. To put that in comparison, Chris Sale's whip, a 128. He's issued 15 walks in 36 and a third innings. Chris Sale in 36 innings, 11 walks, and Cashier and Sale have both given up a pretty equal amount of home runs. Cashier six, Chris Sale seven. I just think that there's going to be a lot of regression, especially with Cashier not necessarily being a good punch out guy and Chris Sale doing a great job of being able to strike guys out. So looking at the under and looking at the Boston Red Sox run line, currently Wayne Seymour on those prices. 969, 970 on the banging rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays are playing host to the Minnesota Twins. Kyle Gibson on the hill for the Twins, and you've got Trent Thornton going for the Toronto Blue Jays. The total on this game is 9, with the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 juice. If you want to take a look at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The plus price with the Toronto Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Very hard to have any faith in Trent Thornton. He had a very good start his last time out against the Texas Rangers. Wound up getting a no decision in what was a one to nothing extra inning game. That was one that was very stifling considering the fact that the Texas Rangers have the best offense out there in the big leagues to this point. But I really do like what I've seen out of Kyle Gibson so far this year. 2-1 record, 4.68 ERA. He's done a better job of limiting the walks. 10 of them in 32 and two-thirds innings. He's given up a little bit of contact, but all in all, he does a good job of being able to limit it. Meanwhile, with Thornton, 4.08 ERA. That last start against the Rangers really helped him out. As in 35 and a third innings, he has issued 14 walks and given up five home runs, but the 38 strikeouts shows that he does have some nice stuff. And with the Minnesota Twins, they have been doing a great job of being able to hit the long ball. Going into their game on Tuesday, 59 home runs in their first 33 games. And Eddie Rosario has been behind the power surge, only hitting 224 with the average, but 12 home runs and 28 RBI has been great. The man that's providing the average is one Jorge Polanco going into that contest. He was hitting above 300. He's been doing a great job of just being that constant for this team, and he's getting some help from Nelson Cruz, who has a good combination of average and power hitting right around 300 with some dingers. Mitch Garver has been hitting 355 as well. Jonathan Scope has his average right around 290 as well. You do have some struggling bats as well. Adhere Adrianza only hitting a buck 40. Max Kepler has seen his average dip down to below 250 as well. Marwin Gonzalez hitting right around the Mendoza line, but it's not like the Toronto Blue Jays are doing much with their bats. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., ever since getting the call up to the big leagues, has been hitting below the Mendoza line. No matter who they stick in there at catcher, whether it's Molly or Danny Jansen, they're both hitting below 200. Randall Grichik has his average above 250, which is an encouraging sign, but he hasn't provided the power that he has in past years. Justin Smoke seems to be cold. His average is more around 240. Freddie Galvis, ever since coming off the injured list, has seen his average go from a 310 to a 274. So, all in all, you've got a lot of guys for the Toronto Blue Jays that aren't hitting for a lot of power and are not hitting for 
a lot of average. I know that the Blue Jays bullpen is a little bit better than the Minnesota Twins is, but I do think that we're going to be able to see the Minnesota Twins get this win because their bats are just far superior to that of the Blue Jays. I think that both teams are going to struggle to score, so I've already locked in the under on this game, but currently in Wayne C mode on the Minnesota Twins, trying to see if I'm able to get more of a minus 110 price instead of a minus 115 because I have noticed a little bit of movement in favor of the Toronto Blue Jays. 971-972 on the banging rotation. The Detroit Tigers play host to the LA Angels. Tyler Skaggs on the bump for the Angels. Matthew Boyd goes for the Tigers. If you like the Tigers, you're going to get anywhere between an even number and minus 103. For the Angels, you're going to lay anywhere between minus 107 and minus 110. If you are looking at the over, that is minus 115 juice. The under is minus 105. Matthew Boyd has been essentially one of my bankroll Cy Young winners so far this year because he has been absolutely incredible for the Detroit Tigers. He's just doing a great job in general being able to get punch outs. And Tyler Skaggs, I also feel like is a little bit of an underrated starter. Skaggs for the year, 3-2 record. 3-1-2 ERA. He spent a little bit of time on the injured list, but in 26 innings so far this year, the four home runs a little bit of a woe, but he's limited the walks to 8-1-2-3 whip. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd, 305 ERA. Miami must absolutely love him with a 305. Whip of a .99. 57 strikeouts in 44 and a third innings. Just 11 walks and two home runs. He has been spectacular. And for the LA Angels, they've been struggling a little bit with the bats. Tommy LaStella is currently day-to-day. Obviously, that hurts. He's provided seven home runs. Mike Trout, we all know what he's able to do. Hitting just below 300, seven home runs, 20 RBI. Heading into Tuesday's action. And big thing for the LA Angels is that now they have Shohei Otani is able to DH. Didn't necessarily have the best of outings at his first game of the year, but you got to think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Now, Zach Gozart hitting a buck 23 has not been good for this team, and whenever Peter Borges is in the lineup, oh dear, he's just not been good. But Jonathan Lucroy hitting right around 260. Brandon Goodwin above 300 himself. Daniel Fletcher right at 300. And Adrelton Simmons hitting more in the neighborhood of 285 and 290 has been nice. Albert Poole, so you can tell, is a little bit over the hill. But with the Detroit Tigers, it seems like Miguel Cabrera is starting to find it. He hasn't necessarily been hitting for power, but he has his average back around 300. Ronnie Rodriguez, ever since he got the call-up, has been hitting above 320 as well. You've got an infield that's really struggling for this team. You've got Castro and Jody Mercer hitting both below 230. And then Kendallario is hitting in that neighborhood as well. Nick Cassiano says his average rate around 275. But you don't really have a lot of guys providing a lot of power. Gordon Beckham has three home runs. That's nice. But his average is a 250. And he's been spending some time on the injured list as well. He's sort of been in and out of the lineup. So all in all, this is just a situation where I'm going to trust in a little bit of a better starter in Matthew Boyd. I think that he's going to be able to carry a Tigers team that... Let's face it, the bullpen has really failed them, but Matthew Boyd has been going seven-plus innings in so many of his starts. I do think that Tyler Skaggs is going to give up a couple runs in this one. I think that Miguel Cabrera in the middle of the lineup with Cassianos are going to be able to generate a little bit of something. So for that reason, looking at the Tigers here and wait and see mode there, but I've already taken the under and have locked it in. I just don't think that we're going to see a lot of offense in this game. 973, 974 on the bang rotation. The Kansas City Royals are in Houston to face off against the Astros. Brad P. Peacock goes for the Astros. Jorge Lopez goes for the Kansas City Royals. Total on this game is between 9 and 9.5. And if you like the 9, the over is minus 120. The under is even juice. If you like the 9.5, the under is minus 120. The over is even juice. If you're taking a look at the Astros, that is anywhere between minus 240 and minus 250. The Royals are between a plus 210 and plus 215 underdog. Jorge Lopez is just a guy that I absolutely cannot back. I want to take the plus price here with the Kansas City Royals because Brad Peacock looked absolutely atrocious in his last start against the Minnesota Twins. 
I just can't deal with Lopez. 0-3 record, 509 ERA, 135 whip, 40 and two-thirds innings. He's given up seven home runs and 14 walks, and he's supported by a bullpen that's one of the worst out there in the big leagues. The Houston Astros, meanwhile, they send out their bullpen that is the best in the MLB in regards to ERA, and Brad Peacock has been nothing special. 528 ERA, 1-2-1 whip, 30 and two-thirds innings. He has given up 28 hits, but he is a guy that has starting experience. It seems like he's going to be able to find his way once again. That Minnesota Twins start that he had was just a blow-up before then. He had been doing a decent job. And then with the Kansas City Royals, you've got a very top-heavy lineup. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, it is a little bit more full in that from top to bottom, you really don't have too many easy outs aside from whoever is at the DH, whether it be Tony Kemp or Tyler White. With the Kansas City Royals, Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi and Alex Gordon are all hitting above 275, and Hunter Dozier has been absolutely terrific. He's hitting just below 350, and he's been able to provide a lot of power with nine home runs and 20 RBI. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the lineup, not so much. Ryan O'Hearn, Chris Owings, Martin Maldonado, Billy Hamilton all entered into Tuesday's action hitting 200 or worse. I will say that Jorge Soler being able to pick up the average is nice, but then when you take a look at the Houston Astros, Michael Brantley, Carlos Correa, and Josh Reddick all hitting above 300. Robinson Chirinos has picked it up with the bat. Jake Marizic seems to be going a little bit of cold along with Diaz, but you do have Alex Bregman, who is a constant for this team. George Springer hitting 285, and he's been supplying a lot of power with 11 home runs. And then you've got Jose Altuve with nine diggers, despite the fact that his average has been slipping a little bit. I just think that this is a spot where the Kansas City Royals are going to get hit and they're going to get hit hard. Currently in Wayne C mode on the over, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on an over 9. If not, I'll probably take an unjuiced 9.5, but I'm all about the Houston Astros run line in this spot. Currently seeing a run line price of minus 130. In Wayne C mode there, would like to be able to lay a little bit of a better number on that one. We've got 975-976 on the bang rotation. The Texas Rangers head to Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Nick Kingham goes for the Pirates. Shelby Miller for the Texas Rangers. So on this game is 9 with the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over between minus 110 and minus 105. If you like the Texas Rangers, you're going to be getting a plus price anywhere between plus 128 and plus 130. One late here with Pirates anywhere between minus 138 and minus 145. Shelby Miller continues to be a pitcher that I cannot trust. When he pitched against the Pittsburgh Pirates last week, the run line wound up cashing. He didn't make it out of the fourth inning, and he gave up four runs. And for the year, we talked about with Joe Gallant, this guy's awful. 1-2 and two record, and I don't know how he got that win. 7.99 ERA, 2.03 whip, 23 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 20 walks and four home runs. Meanwhile, Nick Kingham, the ERA of a 6.39 is bad. But in 12 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up one home run. There's at least a redeeming quality I can find with Nick Kingham. I cannot find it so much with Shelby Miller. I will also say that these are a pair of, I shall call them pretty bad pitchers. So for that reason, I am on the over, and I've already locked it in. The Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen has been failing them. With the Texas Rangers, you've got guys like Jesse Chavez, Jose LeClerc, Springs and company that are just doing a terrible job there. So I think runs are going to be a plenty. I know that the Pittsburgh Pirates don't necessarily have a bunch of mashers out there in the lineup. And for the Texas Rangers, they've been able to really generate some offense. They're averaging just under 5.9 runs per game. It's been absolutely incredible. They've got a couple guys that are struggling with their average. Lionel DeShields Jr., Rudnett Odor, and Keener Falafella, the catcher, I hope I said that correctly, all hitting below the Mendoza line, but you've got Elvis Andrews, 
Hunter Pence both hitting above 320. Joey Gallo has his average around 270 with 14 home runs. He has been terrific as Rubel Cabrera hasn't necessarily been getting it done with the average, but his power has been there. And same with Luke Forsythe, who has his average more around 280 as well. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the bats seem to be coming around. They've got a couple guys that have come off the injured list and given them something. Sterling Marte is still hitting right around 230, and Gregory Polanco, 265. But you got to think that that's going to see an uptick. Francisco Savrelli hitting below the Mendoza line, but I have a feeling that that's going to uptick Melky Cabrera hitting right around 335. That's been huge for this team. They get back Kevin Newman as well. He's a 290-ish hitter. And then they're getting a lot out of Brian Reynolds, who's hitting way above 350. That's been a nice find. And Josh Bell has been a nice find as well, hitting nearly 295 and has provided eight home runs entering into Tuesday's action. So I do think that the Pirates do have a little bit more to be able to offer. And this is just a straight fade of Shelby Miller, to be honest here. I don't see what team scores below five runs. So I've already locked in the over on this game. And I'm actually taking a look at the Pirates on the run line. It catched the last time that Shelby Miller was out there. And I think the Pirates are really going to be able to lay the beat down on Shelby Miller once again. I see a plus 140 run line price with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'm going to wind up taking that as well. 977-978 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in Tampa Bay to face off against the Rays. Charlie Morton goes for the Rays. Robbie Ray on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So in this game is 7.5 with the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 over between even juice and minus 105. If you like the Rays, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 155. If you want to take the plus price here with the D-backs, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 142. Charlie Morton has been a pretty stellar starter for the Rays so far this year. Other than one bad start against the Boston Red Sox, all in all, he's done a great job this year. And Robbie Ray, he actually has good numbers when it comes to ERA and everything like that. But the big issue I have with him is in 38 innings, he's given up 20 walks. That will allow a Tampa Bay Rays team that doesn't necessarily have a lot of power to be able to get on base and be able to really drive them around and play some small ball. Brandon Lowe has been absolutely incredible for this Tampa Bay Rays lineup. He was able to get things going with a home run on Tuesday, and for the year, he's hitting above 300, which has been nice. Yandy Diaz has seen a little bit of a downturn in his production. He's now hitting more in the neighborhood of 255. He's got seven home runs this year himself. G-Man Choi has seen his average dip to right around 250, but Brandon but Tommy Pham at the top of the lineup, hitting nearly 300 along with Nathaniel Lowe. Those have been nice finds. Daniel Robertson seems to have gone cold with the bat along with Kevin Kiermeyer. Kiermeyer hitting around 240. Robertson below the Mendoza line. And then you take a look at William Adamas and Mark Zanino. Both these guys not necessarily getting the job done, but with being able to draw those walks, I think it's going to help out a Tampa Bay Rays team that has been doing a very good job of being able to find offense just in bunches to be able to hang a good number up on this game. Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, we all know about their offense. David Peralta hitting above 300 along with Christian Walker. Gattel Marte hitting 261 going into Tuesday's action with nine home runs and over 20 RBI has been nice. Gerard Dyson at the top of the lineup for the Arizona Diamondbacks hitting just below 300 at this point. He's been doing a good job whenever he's been in there. He's gotten the last couple days off, so that's something you want to note. But Eduardo Escobar was playing yesterday, and he's hitting nearly 290. Adam Jones hitting in the neighborhood of 280. Wilmer Flores and Nick Amad have picked it up as well. So I do think that we're going to see quite a few runs in this game. I am going to be on the over in this game. I've already locked it in, but we know that with the Tampa Bay Rays and their first 22 wins, 21 of them came by 
two runs or more. I think that the Rays bullpen is going to be able to do a good job in this one. I think Charlie Morton delivers a quality start. And I do think that Robbie Ray is going to get touched up and that Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen that failed them a couple days ago against the Colorado Rockies going to once again. I'm seeing a Rays run line price between plus 140 and plus 145. I personally have already locked in plus 145 and I'm going to be rolling with the over here as well. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bang rotation. Brett Anderson takes a bump for the home Oakland A's as they play host to the Cincinnati Reds, who trot out their sunny gray. Total on this game, 8.5 with the under at minus 120. The over is even juice. If you like the Reds, you're going to get anywhere between plus 110 and plus 112. If you like the Oakland A's, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 122. This is a spot where I certainly do take a look at the under. This is going to be a night game in Oakland, so the marine layer is going to be out and about, and that's going to make it a little bit harder for these guys to be able to drive in the ball. The Cincinnati Reds were absolutely white hot with the bats against the San Francisco Giants, but I do see a little bit of regression from to the mean, but I do think that Joe Gallant threw out there a very good point in that they hit left-handed pitching very well. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray, he's been a little bit of a tough luck loser this year for the Reds. 0-4 record with a 389 ERA, 104 whip, has given up just one home run in 34 and two-thirds innings to go with 38 punch-outs and just 11 walks. Anderson, he's been a pretty decent pitcher himself. 389 ERA, 141 whip, that's because he's given out 14 walks in 37 innings, just one home run himself, so I don't see a whole lot of hard contact being made in this game. Want to try to get better juice on the under, but I'm going to certainly be on that. But with the Cincinnati Reds, they've got one of the top bullpens in the big leagues. It didn't necessarily show itself in that Giants series, especially when they blew 4 to nothing and 8 to nothing leads. But with that said, I do have a lot of faith in a lot of their guys being able to come in, like a Dylan Hernandez, like a Amir Garrett of being able to provide some quality innings. Rossiel Iglesias, not necessarily the best of closers, but you could have someone like Fernando Rodney as well, which is what the Oakland A's have, along with Joaquin Soria, J.B. Wendelkirk not necessarily getting the job done. And with the Oakland A's, they're really struggling with the average. They really don't have any players that are getting starts on a night-to-night basis that are hitting above 300. I will say that Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman have been doing a solid job of being able to get on base. Both these guys hitting 295 going into Tuesday's action, but Robbie Grossman hitting below 215. It was a good sign that Matt Olson was back in the starting lineup yesterday. He's been missing throughout the entire year. you got to think it's going to take a couple of games for him to get set, though. And then you've got the guys at the bottom of the lineup that are not producing. Steven Piscotty hitting below 250. It's really come and gone for him. Jerickson Profar hitting below the Mendoza line. And Ramon Loreno hitting just above 220 himself. And with Chris Davis, he has 10 home runs so far this year, but he hasn't hit a home run in seemingly forever. And his average is right around a 230 as well. So for that reason, I'm taking a look at the plus price with the Cincinnati Reds and the under. Just some wait and see mode as to what specific numbers I'm going to get. And that will do it for a Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Jill Gallant of Oddshark for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have any question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GNNRSquare81. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 